Hello and welcome to Happy Place with me, Fern Cotton. This is the show that believes everyone has the right to feel able to show up in the world as their authentic self. Today, I'm chatting to Kelly Holmes. It was really difficult for me to try and explain some things when people go, oh, yeah, but everyone, no one cares anymore. But I care, you know, no one cares because society is changing and we're in a better world where people here will go, it shouldn't be spoken about. That's awesome. That is so lovely to hear. And we want that to be the case. But unfortunately, for lots of reasons, a lot of people in their lives have to care or do care because it isn't so easy for them to make that next step. Kelly was first on the podcast back in 2019, but a lot has changed for her since then. Just a couple of weeks ago, she came out publicly as gay. As you'll hear in this gorgeous conversation I had with her at my house recently, it's a truth she's been acknowledging privately for decades, but was never able to discuss openly for numerous heartbreaking, maddening reasons. Kelly served in the military at a time when homosexuality was banned in the British Army, Royal Navy and RAF. It was only in the year 2000, after she'd left, that the law changed. By that time, she was a celebrated athlete. Not only could she not see many other gay sports people around her, but there was a real fear that coming out would by default mean admitting she broke the law whilst in the military. All these desperately cruel nuances are explored in her new, excellent ITV documentary, Kelly Holmes Being Me. You can watch that still on Catch Up. But there's also so much hope in there, as well as in this chat, about how the country is changing into a kinder and safer place. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Let's do it. Here's the show. Hello, Dame Kelly Holmes. Hello again. <laughs> I know again. I'm so happy it's to have strange. you back on the podcast. So happy. And to do it face to face because we were just talking about this before we started. There's nothing like having a face to face chat. It's the real deal. It's so good. It's so good to see you though. It's so You always good make to me smile you. anyway when oh. I see you. So Well, you make me smile and we've got obviously so much to catch up on and talk about since I last saw you in the flesh. We've spoke on the phone, but the last time I actually saw you. How are you feeling? It's been a whirlwind couple of weeks with you coming out publicly. Mm. How's your head? How's your heart? Wow. Um, it's quite surreal. I feel like I've been in a little bit of a bubble. So I've done the sort of newspaper, TVs. And then my documentary come out. But essentially outside of that, I've been at home. So it's a bit surreal. So it still feels like I'm processing because I don't know how I can suddenly feel different. I wondered what I would feel like after this all come out. 
and I just don't know how I suddenly feel have to feel different or how do I suddenly take out all of those worries and inhibitions and fears and just walk out the door and go I don't care you know some processing yeah I guess it's an incremental thing and mm. I think like with most terrifying moments you expect that you're going to feel completely different after but I guess there'll be all different phases depending on who you're with, what job you're doing, where you are, that you'll peel back more layers and and just keep processing it. And I know an important part of that, watching your beautiful documentary that I just loved watching, you you said right at the start you wanted to set yourself free. That was the the whole point of making the documentary, of exploring some very difficult subjects. Do you feel any freer at the moment? Yeah, I do, because I know it will be so much better for me. That's, you know, so psychologically, I feel that I have done exactly what I wanted to do. I needed to kind of get this off of my chest, out of my head, out of my being to just go, right, now it's said. Um, Because it was all so consuming, especially over the last few months that it was just like, I I need to do it. The documentary allowed me to do it in a way that I felt was most responsible and respectful to the conversations that I was talking about and also for me to not be somebody that just goes, oh, I'm out, I'm gay, I'm going to fly flags or whatever because that's just not me anyway. And so, yeah, the documentary, I always say there's one opportunity in life sometimes, so someone you meet or something, someone says. But for me, it was the ITV sort of saying, we will back you to do this documentary. That for me was almost like a lifeline because I had to do it in a way that expressed who I was as somebody in the public eye and somebody that's been sort of put on this pedestal through being an Olympic champion and a dame and an only colonel, but actually they needed to know more of me for me to say, well, no, this is actually who the, the true me is and the true person that you've been celebrating for all these years. And I felt I could only do it by doing it in a public way, but through a thought-provoking sort of doc. So I've done it. You've done it. I mean, you've done it. And you could see in the documentary there's parts where you were so uncomfortable or you could see the stress in in your face and, and how you were delivering it. But that sort of went as you were chatting to those beautiful people the ex-service men and women and the the couple who are uh, Olympic boxers like you could see the weight going incrementally which was, mm. was so amazing I mean it's a terrifying prospect to delve into subjects that are shit scary it really is and I'd never spoken to anyone this is what people may not have understood before I did the doc was that I never ever was able to ask a question talk to somebody about being in the LGBT plus community, being gay, like I'd never even had a close conversation because I was scared of their thing. Oh, she must be gay. (laughs) And I remember thinking to myself, I know, you know, I'm old enough to know that people will always have assumption in life. And it was something that I said at, um, I got invited to the LGBT plus awards, which again, I'd never been to anything to do with the community ever. And I remember standing there thinking, I know people will go, well, we thought anyway. But for me, and I put it as a quote, is assumption isn't freedom. Freedom is my voice. And that's why I had to give my voice to free myself, regardless of what other people thought. So all of the conversations I had with the different types of groups I needed to address my problems through, it was the first time I'd had 
those honest conversations. So, you know, a documentary can only show so much, can't it? You know, it's cut down a lot. So behind that, I had huge conversations, you know, and really sort of in-depth things that I just like, wow, you know, I was blown away by some of the conversations I had, you know. So the perspective of that being that if I'm talking to people in the army that live their life authentically open now, that in my head is inconceivable. Yeah. To think that they're just living their life and no one cares anymore. I mean, that was a beautiful <laughs> moment of the documentary because the people you were talking to in the army now, who, as you say, are openly gay and trans, mm. they didn't even realise that it was illegal only, what, 22 years ago, it was illegal to be gay in the army. And they were like, didn't even know. It hadn't crossed their minds because there has been so much progress. There's always still progress to be done, but there's been so much progress. So... It's understandable because you lived in such a different era and having that omnipresent fear when you were serving, I I can't even imagine the mental, emotional and physical stress that Mm. that that brings on. And I guess that's going to take a long time for you to process. And like you say, make peace with a very complex relationship you have with the army, which you love it. But also there's been so many dark, problematic areas that you've had to live through. Yeah, you're right. So this has been the roller coaster because I loved my career when I served. I'd loved being a physical training instructor. I wanted to be in the army since I was 14. So that love and need to have a career, which was then the army because I was an academic at school. So me going into the army felt like I could become someone, you know, I could go through the rank structure. I could have that recognition and that sort of presence that yeah people see me being good you know it made me achieve something then having the fear that was instilled into me as a child really you know back then in 17 year old I was a young 17 year old you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. and especially back then when you know kids were kids not yeah everybody. yeah totally <laughs> um you know you got read this kind of script about you can have same-sex relationships. But at that time, when it's read, I didn't even naturally know that I was a gay woman. So when it was very obvious to me that maybe I, I liked a female, this girl that I just got to know as part of our intake, she kissed me and I just thought, oh. And it didn't feel wrong. It didn't feel, it was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, and then the the ironic thing is, is I joined the Women's Royal Army Corps. So bef- before 1992, females joined what was called the Women's Royal Army Corps. So it was a separate to the men's. So in terms of our rank structure, our promotional structure, and everybody that looked after you, it was all females. And it was in 1992 that we amalgamated to become one British army, as you know it today. So men and women serving side by side in everything. And um, the ironic thing was, is that there were a lot of gay women. There was a lot, but it was just an unspoken piece of your journey, you know, even throughout the whole ranks, there was women, but you just didn't speak about it. You know, it's like anything. If you know some something about someone, you kind of, you just know. I don't yeah. know, it's like a language unspoken. But because of that, that fear was instilled in me. But I think the fear started to become something very apparent to me when I became an international athlete, because during my army career, I used to use my leave to go and compete. So I would then go away and compete as a 
civilian athlete running for Great Britain, you know, with world-class Olympians in my team, like Olympia Christie and Sally Gunnell oh, and all the old legends. hats and, you know, college accident. Legend. This is my know. era of the Olympics. Exactly. This is what I was like <laughs> screaming at the TV. It brings me fond <laughs> memories. You know, so I'd be in that team and... It was a really kind of complex position because I was trying to be Kelly Holmes, the athlete, but I was a soldier. So as soon as I'd finished championship, I'd go back in as a soldier and do my job and wear my uniform. And so when I left in 1997, age 27, the band was still there for the army. So I'm now a world-class international athlete. I'd multi-medaled already. I'm now a civilian, yet there's a, still a band within the army up to 2000. So in my head, it's like, well, there's no way I can say anything because I'm admitting literally that I've broken the law while the law is still in place. God, the pressure. So is... I just thought, well, I can't say anything. So I didn't. So then I won a medal in um, my next Olympics in 2000. The ban only got lifted, I think, in the January of 2000. In my head, I was convinced if I said something there will be some retaliation, retribution, something would come off of me admitting it. And it just went on and on. And then, of course, in that next four-year period, I multi-medaled at many championships. Four years later, I become double Olympic champion. And that's when the pressure was really on. Yeah, God, I mean... It, the irony is crazy that, you know, the more successful you got, the more scared you became yeah. because the pressure and the all eyes on you were just there constantly. And, I mean, let's go back to the... So I know there's yeah. obviously... There's there's fear within the sporting community at that point because you're doing so brilliantly. But also you said in the documentary that wasn't a commonplace conversation that you would have with fellow athletes. So you had that going on. Mm -hmm. But you've still got, as you said, this ban where, you know, you spoke to these brilliant, beautiful souls on your show who were, well, the, the guy was imprisoned for being gay, which just seems to be, you know, in this day and age, you just go, how is that even possible? This is within our lifetimes that this is... That that's the case. He's imprisoned, you know, stripped of medals, the whole thing. It's very serious situation to find yourself in. Mm. How did that fear affect you psychologically? Because I'm sure it spilled out into all areas of life, carrying that burden. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you end up not trusting people. You're worried about what people are going to do, say, who's going to trip you up. You know, going back to what you said about the the two that I had in the documentary, remember, there was around 300 each year that were being kicked out of the forces. These are people that had served for their country, maybe fought on the front line, got long service medals. You only get a long service medal after 15 years. So these were people that were able to be there and serve for their country and no one battered an eyelid. You know, great soldiers until somebody finds out about their personal life. And at that moment, they're no good as a soldier. How does that work? It just doesn't seem that this is... I, I, I just don't see how whoever it was that set those rules can see that there was any sense nope. at None. all that that was something that should have been no. in place. 
you know, Emma that was in there. I mean, what it, the thing is, as I say, you don't get so much in the doc because it has to be about my story that I'm trying to explore. Emma was a young girl. She was 21. She was celibate. She just said to a friend, she thinks she might be gay. Yeah. Like those words. Yeah. And that so-called friend went and basically went to senior offices and she got arrested and then she's out the army and then humiliated. You know, and the thing for me, when I got raided, you know, I was 23 at the time. I was a corporal at the time. You know, I was one of the best PTIs that given I was promoted quicker than all the people that I'd been with in the past. So I did my job really, really well. And I was also, you know, army champion, inter-services champion, you know, judo champion, everything, you know. And yet, whoever it was had obviously got tip off that there might be some people that were gay in our unit. And basically, we got tipped off that the RMPs were coming. This is how what happens. You get tipped off that raw military peace are going to come. So at that time, I wasn't actually seeing anyone, which is, again, weird. But you anything that has anything about you saying... An example, my best friend who is in the documentary, Kerry, I've known her since day one at school, and my Lisa who's in the documentary, they used to write me letters because yeah. we didn't have fo- mobile phones to say hi, hi. It was always the pay, f- pay phone. It was just like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm bothered. You know what I mean? <laughs> so they'd write you letters like, are you around? Are you alive? <laughs> when are you coming home? But even if it said, love Kerry, love Lisa, nah, those letters, wow. they were going in that box. Anything of any friends, you know, your mates, ra- arms round, in the box, in the boat boot of the car. Because you were just thought nothing you'd be there. So they'd come in and they'd literally get you out, stand by your door, and they would tip and rip everything apart in everyone's room. Even if someone was, if people were straight in heterosexual relationship, they would just come and rip your rooms apart, tip everything out, stand all over it, and then basically leave with either something that they think is evidence or nothing at all and just leave you there. It's humiliating, it's scary, it's embarrassing. It's you know, awful. And, and like Emma that, said, yeah. that then ha- that forced her mm. to come out to her family because yeah. she had to give a reason that she'd been yeah. kicked out of the army. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Like, mm. that is not, it's just not okay. It's not I okay. I don't have any words. I can't form a proper sentence because I'm just, yeah. you can't process it. It doesn't no. make sense. And it was such a short time ago, yeah. which is even more important that you're having this conversation in the context of the army because... You know, as as much progress as we've seen, let's look at the army in particular. You know, there, there's been a lot of progress in mm. a short time. But of course, there are still, I don't know how many states and countries around the world, it's in the tens, where it's still illegal yeah. to be homosexual. Uh-huh. You know, this is, this is still a huge global problem with en masse numbers of people being arrested, put in prison yeah. for their personal yeah. being. I mean, it's it's madness. They're being vilified for just sort of who you are. And the thing is, you can't help who you are. You just are who you are. <laughs> you know, doesn't matter what label or where you want to sit. You just, you are the person that's yeah. walking around and you happen to then have your feelings or emotions mostly around how comfortable you are with a person, whatever that means to you. And it's actually no and one's because business. Of that, no. Like, it's no one's business. Like, you've done this yeah. because it's healing for you, yeah. massively cathartic, you need to make peace with the army, and you know, because of this massive platform you've got, mm. you're going to help... I mean, you've already helped so many people. It's like when we had Philip Schofield on the podcast. You can't quantify or understand it because it will have touched people in so many ways personally. Mm. But at the end of the day, 
it's no one's fucking business. No. It's no one's business about anyone's sexuality or just who they are. Yeah. And it's a shame that this is still the case that you're having to make the documentary, that you're having to do this as much as you want to and you have that drive. It's it's saddening that we're still focusing on this yeah. in a way. It's a, it's a huge shame. Yeah, we've got a long way to go. And, you know, the reason I had to do the doc is because of the fear. Because yeah. it was that, how do I get rid of this something that's been in my head for like 34 years how do I get rid of the fear because I've lived my life authentically myself in my private life and I've done all the things I've done since winning the two gold medals and you know everyone sees me at events and I'm still there I do everything but that does not help me because my mental health has been affected through it I go home I'm the one that cries I go home I'm the one that's you know in a shell this is the thing and the army was the catalyst for it. Then it went from that being, God, I'm well known now. I'm, I didn't speak, no one spoke about it in sport. You know, back then, I didn't know anybody. You know, I wasn't really into tennis, so I didn't know uh, Billie Jean King yeah. and Navratilova. So apart from those two females who are obviously, you know, world class. Yeah, iconic. Iconic and leaders in the yeah. conversation, I was unaware no one in athletics at all talked about it, so I just became an athlete. You know, I'm just an athlete. I don't care what I look like, who I am, as in didn't wear makeup, didn't do whatever. I'm just there to win medals, and that's it. And struggled with all my injury problems that you know, yeah. didn't help with yeah. the mental health at all. But um, so I had the two sides of me, you know, and you've got to remember I'm not 20. <laughs> you know, I'm also a person that's gone through generational change in this community. The 80s with the AIDS epidemic was very much there. So the LGB, as it was called then, community was very sort of hidden and vilified. You yeah, know, there was, there was so much went on. It, yeah. So I have the curve of lots of things in my head and life. Then I get to the purpose, again, for doing the doc was that over the past four years, I felt I had to do something to help myself. I was getting so, everything about me was getting wrong. You know, I was constantly in tears. I was constantly second guessing myself what I was going to do next. You know, I didn't want to go back into my whole cycle of mental health problems yet I was in it and mm. I didn't recognize it probably I was just you know lost I was insecure I felt that I wasn't being myself when I'm out with people you know even if I was out with you or whatever you know when I did a podcast before I talked absolutely about how sport affected my mental health. I never said one thing to you about no. my personal problems, right? Anything. You interestingly did a video for our festival, yeah. which was the digital one in 2020. And, you know, at the time I watched it and just thought, this is beautiful. But I re-watched it this week. Mm. And you were sort of talking about all this without saying it. You'd had this moment where you'd shaved your hair and you'd wanted to do it for years and you thought, I actually don't care what people think anymore. This is who I am. You started to dress how you wanted to dress. Yeah. And you watching it back, I was like, oh, wow. Like You can see the shit was... flying off, like the layers coming <laughs> off like already then. And I watched yeah. it with a completely different mindset. And you seemed really confident talking about it then. You just hadn't said it. Said anything. And yeah. I guess, you know... As well as having that extreme and 
you know, just unwarranted fear that you had to deal with in the context of the army. I guess there is, for anybody wanting to, regardless, just let's put sexuality to one side, just whoever you want to be. There are so many people that don't feel they can live authentically and be themselves because we've all got this inbuilt thing as humans that we just want to belong. We just want to belong. We want to be accepted. We want to feel part of something. And I think so many of our individual fears come from that place. I just want to belong. And of course, you know, that that's the case for all of us but i'm sure that was a fear that you held and then obviously you tell everybody who you are and everyone goes amazing come here brilliant and the the only you know if there are people mm. that that discriminate or that don't understand it they're the ones that are the most scared of not belonging yeah. that's why they're doing it yeah yeah no absolutely and i think that fear as a whole is debilitating yeah. for anybody it doesn't matter what that fear consists of. And as you say, you know, fear, we all maybe have an element of fear somewhere embedded in us. Just some are able to it not affect their life because it's just one very small part. It's not their whole being. So you know, getting out of situations in relationships, something to do with your family and religion and you need to escape. You know, there's so many things that are inside all of us that some people need to scream and shout and just aren't able to. And if there's one thing when it comes to this community, the fear is maybe so much wider because of that perceived lack of acceptance in the community or in the the world as we stand. So when people go, oh, no one should be able to come out anymore, that's because either... They're a younger generation that haven't really felt the fear. They're living that life where... It's a brilliant world to be in. I mean, I used to be jealous. You know, last year when I'm doing a lot of the research to do some of the doc because I've been doing it over process, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at Instagram of all people. I'm following people, but I don't say anything because I think, oh, God, they might say, you know, Mm. follow me. Um, And I'm thinking, I'm jealous of the way that you're living your life. But equally, I think this is amazing. You know, so the thing is, it's... It was really difficult for me to try and explain some things when people go, oh, yeah, but everyone, no one cares anymore. But I care. Yeah. You know, no one cares because society is changing and we're in a better world where people here will go, it shouldn't be spoken about. That's awesome. That is so lovely to hear. And we want that to be the case. But unfortunately, for lots of reasons, a lot of people in their lives have to care or do care because it isn't so easy for them to make that next step Yeah, for so many other reasons. Yeah. And you can peel off lots of onion layers of people to go, this is why they can't yet do it. And the one thing I have learned through this process with the communities is no one's right to tell somebody else about them or to out that person at all because you don't know why they're not coming out. Because there's so many other things behind why they can't come out. It is never acceptable to out somebody. That's the first thing. Everybody, like myself, would love to just live this free life and be whatever. And I hope one day we don't have these conversations again. I really hope that this becomes what the lifestyle people are living now becomes normal. Yeah. You know, one of the things that blew me away in the documentary was the two boxers who... (laughs) 
I love them. <laughs> so I had a parallel life with one of them. You know, there's both in the army, yeah. both Olympians. There we go, both gay. I'm in the army, scared shitless, can't say anything, in there against the law. International athlete for many, many years, win medals, can't say anything, can't say I'm gay, can't live my life authentically. Somebody else in the army, openly gay, mm -hmm. international athlete, wins medals at Olympics with her partner, yeah. you know, openly with her partner, living her life. They pro, couldn't pro believe boxer. your feelings, could they? They no. sort of looked... In disbelief, yeah. they were like, don't, I don't get it, what? But you, as you say, it's a generational thing. It's a mm. life experience thing. It's what you've lived through. It's, you know, your, the career that you've had, whatever it might be. It's mm. it's going to be different for everyone. I think it's so important that you've just said that about it's never okay to out it or even to question it. You know, you've been able to take complete control in your narrative by making this documentary in your time and explaining it in a way that feels right to you, mm. that deals with the problems that you've had to face and the barriers and the fear and to face up to them, to not hide from them, to really get stuck into them. And mm. it's so important that it's it's you're in control. It's your story. It's so important. Yeah, it's. I think it is. And I think the other barrier I had was because I was in the public eye, you know, that's the other thing. I've, I had all these sort of... Every time there seemed a little barrier to me. And actually the past four years has been really strange. So I became an honorary colonel with the Royal Armoured Corps Training Regiment. Still hadn't said that I was gay. Wanted to take the post because I thought, wow, an honour, you know, God, I'm going to be captain. Yeah, that was love that. me when I was in the army. It's been brilliant. Like, yes, love. Was I meant to salute you at the door? I didn't do that. Yes, of course. Oh, we're shit. <laughs> Hello. Late, but there we go. You know, so you have these things. So I, that for me was again a perceived barrier. So when yeah. my mum passed away, it felt like I had to change. So I did the undercut under my hair the day of her funeral because I just thought I can't. Like I need to do something for me. Like it was literally that one thing. Like right off. And, and she then, wanted you to be free and live your life oh, and be absolutely. Yeah, but I just never could. Um, a day of her funeral, like, well, I mean, I said it in the dark, I lost the plot and still had, but um, uh, when she passed away and then I had the funeral and then in my head, it's like, I have to change. Something's got to change for me, you know, but then I'm getting this role with the Royal Armoured Corps. <laughs> so I had these two things fighting again, you know, and every time it was almost like, I can't do it now, I can't do it now, but I want to do it now. So this has been the turmoil that I've had inside that no one's seen because I've got one side literally fighting just to be free and the other side saying protecting because yeah. I've always protected. We, When you're protecting something, you learn how to hide. You learn when not to speak. You learn how to not say something. And that goes for anyone. I think when you get to a point in your life, you control yourself. You know, you really control your emotions in public, and that could be with friends and family or in the wider public, as it would be me. And at home, you're the one that suffers. Mm. You know, and that's what people forget. You've got to unlearn all that now. Yeah. And yeah. be like, I don't have to keep my mouth shut or... Got to unlearn the whole lot of it. I know. Do you it's know a what? Lot to it's really different. You know, people keep saying, "Oh, how does it feel now?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't really know because I don't know how I'm going to be. I'm trying to be freer." You know, I suppose it has changed in the past. I'd say one of the changes publicly for me. So this has been the battle: is the public me, private me, as I say. I am yeah. who I am. You know, I'm yeah. Kelly, the biggest kid, even though I'm the eldest. <laughs> Not really the eldest, but I'm the biggest kid. Um, in 
public, I never felt I could be me. So I needed to start to make those changes. So one of the things I did, I got, I'd been friends with Kelly Hopping for years. This is funny, actually, because she said to me, do you remember a few years ago? I said to you, I know you're gay. And then I, and in my head, I went, oh, God. She went, and I saw your face and I just had to go and I felt, oh, my God, I felt really bad about it. She said it to me. Wow. Like, uh, just privately in my head. And I just like froze and just retreated. You know what I mean? And then no, we never spoke another word wow. about it. Anyway, she got her CBE and I invi- got invited to her party. And I just thought. I just need to say, I need to say, because there was her, there was Alan Carr, there was Boy George, right? Love. And this is not to name drop, but this is to I put wish I was this... at that party. <laughs> it was a good party. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was lots of other people, but this is to kind of explain it. So I went there and I thought, Do you know what? I just need to say to you. And, and she just went, it's okay, it's brilliant, blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, you know, it's just like trying to do these stages. Yeah. Then I saw Boy George, and before, I've always admired him, and I'd saw him at another event, and I don't go up to him because I was always thought that he's sort of like a, and I don't know, it's my perception, but a bit sort of he doesn't like Fano type thing. And I thought... (laughs) I don't want to be a fan of So I just went up to him and went, hi, um, George. You're I'm, a date. I'm what Dame Kelly. About? I went, I'm Dame Kelly. And he went, I know. Of course you <laughs> know. I, I went, I just, I said, this might be a really weird thing, but I just need to tell you about myself. I just want to say to you, I'm a gay woman, but I'm not out. And this is, you're the second person I'm saying this to. You know what I mean? Like as in the thing. And he was so lovely. Mm. Like he just, it was almost like he, embraced me because I opened to him. I wasn't this kind of, hi, George, and whatever, very sort of false conversation. Yeah, he met you. I had, yeah, and then the same with Alan. And it just felt freedom for me because I felt safe. I felt that they would never say anything, but it was my first step of expressing who I was in a public environment. People might not understand that, but for me, that was life-changing that moment because it just made me feel... God, I can be me outside of my home, you know. I can just actually be me. So that changed everything. And it was part of the process of getting Alan in my dock because then I went to a couple of things of him and I just had a better in-depth conversation with him and it freed me. These little conversations Mm. with these people freed that being, you know. And so it's very strange, you know, we all go to different parts of our life and we can all look back and have different things where we have changed as people for different reasons. But for me, these reasons were life-changing, you know, yeah. just these conversations. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Again, in the documentary, you mentioned the, the yeah. depths that you were at in 2020 where you were feeling utterly depressed. You had been God. sort of pulled in the direction of 
potentially self-harm me again, which was obviously a huge warning sign mm-hmm. for you that you, you needed to do something or you needed help. Yeah. You started therapy a bit after that mm. point, which, you, again, we saw in the documentary, and that seemed very uh, sort of an important component oh, in tell you this, this whole process. Mm. But you can see all those little moments add up to getting you from that place of mm. despair mm. To, to being more free, to being liberated, to, to be happy, which yes. is, you know... The goal is yeah. to feel okay living yeah. living your life. The goal is to feel happy. You yeah. know, I said on the, I think this morning, I said I don't feel like I've ever truly been happy. And that's an on, honest statement where people go, well, surely you must be happy. No, I've had great times and great moments and the best moments of winning gold medals. Yeah. You know, I'm never going to forget that. That's a dream come true. But that's different than feeling as an individual happy in yourself and happy yeah. with who you are. That's more of a grounded thing. Yeah. Like those those big moments of like excitement, jubilation. Mm. But this is a grounding, isn't it, I guess, yeah. that happiness. Yeah. And, you know, I did need to change that pandemic was really difficult for so many people for so many reasons. I think a lot of people either went in themselves, found themselves, realised who they didn't want to be, who they did want to be, changed jobs, changed experiences. For me, it went through, I'm there, I'm keeping myself busy, I've got my fitness program going, that military emotion thing. I kind of built that as an online community that become friends. I kept going. I was doing all my motivational talking on Zoom and then suddenly I started I I can't do I'm like give trying to give so much of myself, but I felt like I'm I've I can't I have nothing else to say to you. I've said everything that's motivational, inspirational and doing whatever, you know, I can't do anymore. I've run dry in motivation. It's gone. (laughs) Literally. And then I remember Feeling so bad, I had this speaking engagement and I'd had a really bad night. I'd been in tears. I would was losing it, like literally. And I did this speaking engagement. I said to him, I need to tell you I'm not feeling good because it was meant to be a well-being talk. And I said, I am not in a good place right now. I'm going to do my talk to you, but I'm going to be honest. And I said, I'm not good. And after that, I put down my laptop and I literally had a burnout, like, a breakdown burnout and I thought I can't do this anymore and I decided I was going to take three weeks off of work I actually took 10 months off of work I lost it and during that time I went to see Tanya who's in my dark um, psychologist because I'd never people talk about psychologists like when do you go and see a psychologist when's the right time I think there's always time to go and speak to someone without a doubt, whether that's a psychologist or a psychotherapist or a doctor or a friend or family, talking we know can really help you. I know I needed to see somebody professional, but throughout my whole life, I was always scared of seeing a psychologist because they might out me. Like, this wow. is how bad that whole thing was in my head. So I finally plucked up the courage to see this Tanya and she did what was called um, like a brainwave therapy thing. And they basically, you put these electrode things on your head. It shows your delta beta wave. So it's about how your brain functions. Oh my God, I want to do that. I know. It's really good. Really, really good. And when she did this brainwave therapy, she said, you, your brain in certain areas is basically flatlined. I had no emotion. I had no creativity. I had no thought process. I was literally numb when I went to see her, like numb. And she said, you need help. And I remember the first treatment she did me, I fell asleep. She said, your brain is so trying to work. She said, I can't even get God. it to engage. I was gone. And this was through the build up of everything. I'd had um, COVID really bad. 
you know, I'd had operations on my legs. I was just getting down and further and further down during lockdown. You know, I was just like further, like thinking. I felt like I needed to explode. I needed yeah. to just try and be, how do I just be me and scream, you know, but I couldn't. So all of this has been that process to it. And then I, uh, the December of that year, I had a really bad breakdown. I just lost the plot. And this is the night you described with me being in bed and just thinking, I'm scared of what I'm going to do. Like, this is the fear I had because I'd been a self-harmer. I'd stopped self-harming when my mum passed away because I realised she didn't have another day to live and I should be able to live the rest of my life. And that was, a, again, a turning point mentally. But this night I was petrified, like literally. I'm going to cry now. Mm. <laughs> no, I've done enough crying in my doc. <laughs> I know, but you can always cry. There's always more to come out. But, yeah, and I feel for people who have real mental health issues because some people don't don't understand that either you know you are out of control when your brain is so fired up that you're screaming inside you're yeah. out of control yeah. at that moment I had to try and control myself which also shows so strength that we have as human mm -hmm. beings to really focus on what we don't want to do where it's easy to go down the route of doing something to release. I, I could have easily gone downstairs, got a knife and started self-harming again that night. The strength that I felt I had, again, a changing point was don't do it, even though it was crippling me. I was literally like I needed somebody to like pin me down, handcuff me or something because mm. I could feel myself doing it in my head to hold, hold me down. But I knew that moment I just had to change, you know, and that's when I then did the whole get in touch with people. I got in touch with a therapist to start with. Didn't work for me at all. And this is one other thing I would pass You've on. You've got is to find the right person. Find the right person. Don't think one person is always right. And if that person doesn't work, that you're never going to do it again. I just knew that person wasn't right for lots of reasons. And then I found, luckily found Tanya, went to see her. We got on so well. We had a great rapport. She met me, felt at ease. She didn't question me. She just said, you need help. I did. She said, I'm going to help you. She did. And that process was part of the journey that I went on to then be able to do the doc, you know, to then get out to be here now. So it's been a tough one, but. Um, yeah, I must go back into just very much, I know I've said all the deep stuff, but I do want to put the positives back in the army because I think it's important that I do say those changes have made a world of difference for so many people to live so their life. So. And socially, people being accepted now in this world is making a difference to so many people's lives. Yeah, Seeing the freedom out there, you can only change by... I think in the freedom way, you can only really change by having visibility and having other people yeah. being at the forefront. Mm -hmm. um, so I've seen that now I've started to kind of dip my very little toe into what this LGBT plus world is. And I'm still have no idea. I'm learning so much. And I've probably cocked up so many times in saying things because I don't know how to say things all the time. I don't think you can cock up. But, it's, your, you know, <laughs> you know, it's your experience. It's your story. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm dipping my toe in there. But then in the army, you know, I'm proud of the changes they've made because finally people can do a career, be good at it and be themselves. And then putting all of the things together, I suppose, is I also, part of doing this, I hope that one day I can become an authoritative and trusted voice in both the community, representing 
whatever I feel is the appropriate way to do things because I do feel the landscape is very confusing possibly for people and that's why there's still the stigmatism and still the fight back sometimes because if I didn't understand it, being a gay woman, I understand that a lot of people in society won't yet understand it but that's education and being informed. So I hope my doc gave a little bit of that but there's lots more to do and maybe I can help be a voice to express the need for some of the conversation to go wider so people generally get it and then in the army there's still a lot of work to be done with those that were affected by the ban you know it's still a huge amount of work mm. to ensure that all those hundreds and hundreds of soldiers military soldiers so that's army navy and air force um get some recognition for the treatment that was given to them because there are a lot still suffering yeah so I mean I, they got their medals back but it's the psychological some haven't still really some haven't they had to apply I mean it's only medals. I mean that's ridiculous I mean, it's, crazy. It's, a, it's a gesture but I think the psychological damage which you cannot quantify again or tangibly see experience it, you know how how do you heal from that I don't even know it's years and years of trauma and yeah. building up narratives that should not exist it, it, it but you you know what you what you've just wished you could be you're already doing like you're already doing it and you've already done a shitload <laughs> to help so many people out there in two worlds that historically haven't been seen to be inclusive the sports world and the army and we're seeing brilliant progress as your documentary demonstrated but I mean that's a lot of work for you to get stuck into I'm sure you're <laughs> sort of daunted but also excited by it do you feel a bit like you're sort of starting again to some extent. Does this feel like chapter two of your of your life? <laughs> About chapter five at this point, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I'm ready, chapter five. I'm on. <laughs> but um, yeah, I yeah, I do feel like it give a like a almost like a clean slate for what I want to express, who I need to be, just being myself. Yeah, yeah, just. I don't know what's there in the future, you know, this is a thing. So, and I really can't plan ahead for it, you know, because this has been a big deal to get to yeah. the point. Now it's sort of out there and it's like, well, now what, you know? And I know that there's going to be, over time, new things that start to come and a pathway for me to go. Um, I'm actually going to my first ever Pride Second of July. Oh, I mean, you're gonna love I've it. Never done that before. It's wild. So, so I'm going to that, and there's lots of things I know they're in the possibly in the pipeline. But I think at the moment it also is for me to compute everything that's happened. It's for me to process it all. For me to start to strip back some of the the fear and the inhibitions I've had and the worries I've had. And when I go to certain places. Remember, I don't have to talk that language anymore. You know, no. there's language that I used to talk to not expose myself. Mm -hmm. There's situations that are in where somebody else will open the door because I don't want to be seen because if I'm being seen, they might go, oh, what you know. So I need to <laughs> step by step unravel 34 years of what's been inside me. Yeah, yeah. So I will do that, but hopefully also eventually be... I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm not there to take over. I'm certainly, there's many, many people before me who have been the leaders, the flag bearers, the kind of 
absolute as um, the Brigadier and the things are giants of this world have gone before me. I'm not there to then go, oh, I'm better than any of you in terms of my voice. But I do know that the position I have and the opportunity I have, that I can be a great voice for change. And that's one thing that I absolutely would like to be, a great voice in both sectors, but definitely within the community. At some stage, when I learn more, because I've got a lot to learn, when I'm educated more, because maybe I'm not educated enough on some of the subjects that are an issue at the moment, when I am, then I hope that I can help be a voice that then normalises it. You know, if they see Dame Kelly Holmes, honorary colonel, who's gay, oh, well, we used to cheer, cheer her when she went in the track. Oh, my God, look what she's done. Well, we don't care about her sexuality. When we have that, then that should be great. So yeah. I'm hoping that that goes to everybody. Well, what's the matter now then? Completely. Completely. That's what I hope. Have you noticed a lack of physical tension? Because like you've mm-hmm. talked about, especially during the pandemic, you had sort of health things going on. And I'm imagining, like we've all experienced on varying degrees, whether it's stress, trauma, whatever it might be, it's not just an emotional issue. It's not just learned behaviour. It's physically stored and held. And I can certainly look back at when I have been in depression or even having panic attacks, how much it takes a toll physically and ailments will flare up or I'll get into a cycle of, oh, this thing is happening again. Why is this happening again? And it's all linked to the emotions. And then sometimes you figure things out and it just sort of goes and it takes the edge off of if it's pain or whatever it might be. Have you felt any physical changes in that way? Yeah, well, I don't know what I've... (laughs) so weird. Um, I do to some degree. I, you know, I think there has been that sort of lift at different stages. So the lift of speaking to the army was a huge one. Yeah. That one conversation that I had in December 2020 when I spoke to the brigadier and I just said, if I do a documentary of saying thing, is and she went, no, it'd be fine. Like, honestly, I couldn't believe it. It's like I felt at that time I was a little floating, but then I didn't know Ooh. what to do with it. You know, it's like, oh, oh, one conversation. Yeah, gone. You know? yeah. But you, you say some really great things is when you are struggling as a person, it affects every part of you, yeah. your physical being, your mental being, your health, everything. That's what I had. I was getting so run down. I'd have cold sores all over my face. My hair looked gross. My skin was awful. I was more inactive than I normally am. And yet activity is something to make you feel good, right? But, I, you know, almost I was going back in a cycle. I was drawn. I was so tired, you know, and coupled with me having really bad on COVID and having two operations at the same time, having burnout and then having depression, that wasn't great. No. Like physically and mentally was not good. No. Um, and I don't need to go into that too much at this stage, but it wasn't pretty. No. So, but... Each of these things that I've explained during this is helping me to release the tension, you know, to release those feelings and just having a conversation with you that, you know, it is fulfilling to have conversation just to blurt it out to someone is empowering you know so it really is so you know each stage is so important and we're still keep doing more and you know I'm hoping that you know, thank you for the opportunity, honestly. Oh, no, please don't because thank it me. It allows me to say more in depth than maybe what has come out, which is lovely. And also, if it helps anyone, then brilliant. No, it will. And you're so right. I think, 
you know, it's very much why I do what I do. I love having conversations with people about things that matter, things that might prompt change, things that are just cathartic, therapeutic, whether that's for the person I'm talking to most of the time, also for me as well. I think when it comes to a big issue and it doesn't have to be sexuality, I've certainly been at this crossroads where you want to talk, but you're unsure how you should go about it you you do have to talk to the right person first because I picked Mm -hmm. the wrong person back in the day to say something to and I went further down so you've got to get the right person and it's got to be the right time and that isn't something that could be prescribed like you'll feel you'll know you'll feel it when it's like I cannot hold this in any longer I have to speak but it's it's on your clock no what no one else gets to decide that yeah that's exactly it it's up to other people to know what's right what I do hope though is when people see other people talking they're knowing it's right will come quicker for them yeah because it's going to be so much better it really is god that's a beautiful thing to say and I can't thank you enough it's been so good to do this chat and I've been so looking forward to it and I'm I'm just so bloody thrilled for you. I really am. And I loved watching your documentary. It was just so important and and beautifully executed. So thank you so much, Kelly. It's been great seeing you. I love you lots. I love you. Thank you. Kelly doesn't owe anyone her story, but the fact that she's been so willing to tell it in the hope that it'll act as a catalyst in helping others feel they can live as their authentic selves is just amazing to see. Thank you so, so much for your time. Brilliant, wonderful Kelly. If you didn't catch her documentary when it was on TV, you can watch on Catch Up on the ITV Hub. It's called Kelly Holmes Being Me. I'll be back next week with a young woman who is just an absolute ray of sunshine. So make sure you join us for that chat by clicking the follow button on your podcast platform so you know when it's available. Until then, a massive thanks again to Dame Kelly Holmes, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you wonderful people for being the kindest souls out there. I love you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.